Hi, I'm Greg Mastrider, and this is my podcast on the future of humanity. Today here with me is Chan Tzu-Fan, also known as Stanley Chan, an award-winning Chinese sci-fi writer, author of The Wasteside, a dystopian novel that I highly recommend, and that was praised by Liu Cixin as the pinnacle of near-future sci-fi writing. Also, Stanley has used AI-generated content in some of his works, which we will definitely discuss as well. Hi, Stan. Thanks for joining in. Hi, Greg. Nice to having me. So let's dive into uh, the topics that uh, uh, drive you and uh, me as well. Um, one of them is definitely climate change. I know that uh, you are fascinated and also maybe to some extent uh, uh, worried about how this may impact our civilization and your novel The Waste Tide is dedicated to that topic. So let's start with uh, the following. What exactly is the current state of affairs in the area of climate change? How would you describe it? Yeah, I think right now um, we're at the a very tipping point of uh, all this it, uh, reversible change uh, globally. Um, so even uh, the international society trying very hard to make the consensus that we need to reduce uh, carbon emission and transfer to the clean energy and everything. But that means uh, a lot of effort to be made because we know back in the history all the developed countries like U.S., there are already a lot of footprints out there like for over a century. And this is come along with their uh, economic growth, uh, like fast accelerating growth. Right now, we're talking about cutting all these uh, footprints from the developing countries, which means like, reducing the uh, job opportunity and also slowing down the economic uh, growth rate. So that means they don't have the possibility to uh, be stronger. So I think this kind of geopolitic and economic uh, uh, imbalance right now is the bottleneck of how people, like human beings, putting all together all the resources and effort to make the change. And I think I couldn't see the outcome even we have all this kind of conference, like all these politicians, scientists, and all these stakeholders, they try to sit down on the same table and, uh, and set up the deal, but it's so difficult to stay on the same page. But because we're sharing the same planet Earth, we're sharing the same atmosphere out there, so if we couldn't do it like all together so there's no way like we can just stop the carbon emission in china but meanwhile we try to just continuously like like uh doing all the things around the world i think the climate here is also very strange these days though so there's huge huge storm and ice like the temperature is really low even in california so it's kind of tricky because we're all a small piece of the uh, like the whole uh, climate change uh, landscape. So nobody can really escape from it. 
there's no such principle called not in my backyard because there's no uh, someone else's backyard right here, right now. So we have to do it all at once. But I, I, I couldn't see uh, what's the uh, solution. I think maybe we need first, we need clean energy. Uh, and and this is something like paradigm shift, uh, for example, nuclear fusion technology. And secondly, we need a battery to storage all this clean energy and can be shifted from one place to another and in a very low cost. So these two major points might change the whole future and it might help us to reach this kind of like post-scarcity uh, society status. And then we can talk about how to redesign the whole distribution system and then we can make the change happen. How optimistic uh, are you about this scenario? Because as you mentioned, there are many negative incentives for many countries. Europe and the US, for example, have been exploiting natural resources uh, and uh, uh, producing a lot of uh, uh, carbon emission into the atmosphere for many decades. And now other countries uh, that are uh, trying to keep up with them in terms of economic development don't want to uh, <laughs> to do what what the U.S. and Europe are urging them to do because uh, they haven't done their their part in this. And this is like a, an example of the tragedy of uh, commons. I think it's called like uh, this this economic effect when when everybody's sharing something and isn't incentivized to utilize at least part of the resources uh, to, to 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 get richer better etc and uh, it seems like currently there is not much uh, good news about international cooperation in this area uh, so are you optimistic about those two ways to reach the better future in terms of climate change or do you think this this is like an unlikely scenario? Yeah, I can only hold on some uh, optimistic uh, thinking in my stories, <laughs> unfortunately, um, because in real world, uh, you can see all this conference in Glasgow um, this year, um, maybe in um, uh, Montreal. It's so difficult to make everyone sit down and pass something on a basic consensus because all the interest, all the conflicts uh, behind the ideolo ideology only exist in utopian stories and fictions. So that's why I think the only thing we can do just keep telling the story. Otherwise, um, there must be some external crisis that force mm -hmm. the human being had to work together. Just like in um, Liu Cixin's three-body problem, uh, yeah. alien invasion, yeah, pushing everyone. You have to like put down all this uh, disagreement, all this bias, all discrimination, geopolitical conflicts, and you have to work as one species, one civilization. Otherwise, there's no way out. But even COVID, you can see all this kind of conflicts, like vaccination. Yeah. yeah, you know. One time when we spoke, you mentioned that uh, we need a paradigm shift in uh, the way people uh, feel about the world. Uh, 
again, what you mentioned about your own backyard, that the, the whole world should be considered by everyone as their own backyard, because it's all interconnected and it all uh, uh, has uh, consequences for, for, for everyone. Uh, so now you say that probably an external crisis could help. Which uh, kind of external crisis could uh, lead to such a great paradigm shift? Because uh, I'm just trying to think about it uh, uh, on the go. Well, imagine like the global warming gets worse and some parts of the world start uh, being flooded and uh, there are obviously huge casualties and uh, uh, deaths and economic loss and people who lose their homes, they house their houses. But still, most parts of the world, uh, people in them, they wouldn't be as incentivized by this as by, say, alien invasion or, uh, or even COVID because it can get anywhere. And these uh, effects can uh, definitely, they will uh, have impact on everything. But at first glance, for people who don't think far in advance, they are not as uh, terrifying. Would that be enough? Or would something even worse and more catastrophic for the world be necessary to change the paradigm of uh, the way people think? What you just said, like even climate change, there are definitely vulnerable countries and areas, right? Um, those suffer more uh, than the others, like uh, maybe they are uh, coast cities, um, they might be flood over when the sea level uh, rise up and maybe those who in the tropic area because the climate change it the temperature be becomes so high that nobody can really live in and the crops couldn't grow there though so they have to move to somewhere else so but this is definitely there's a lot of like uh, inequality in the situation if we're talking about external crisis I think that's planetary level. So that means uh, it makes no difference where you live or which country you're living, what kind of citizen you're holding. Um, I think, um, but that's totally uh, something like in a lot of sci-fi movies and that's totally disastrous. I don't think that kind of situation will be real and if that is the case, I don't think human beings are ready to confront all of those challenges because it might happen like just in, in a click. So I think climate change is much more like a slow violence. So because it's happening day after day, like during the decades, even centuries. So people like human beings, we couldn't build up this kind of emergency, urgentness. We couldn't build up this kind of sense of the atmospheres, of the environment, of the temperature. So I think we need some technology or to help us to bring uh, to build up this kind of higher level of empathy towards other people and towards other species and also towards the whole uh, environment. Uh, like nature. So I'm not sure how this is gonna be actualized in the near future, but I try to put it in my book because I think uh, ultimately uh, we need to think as one species. That means 
we have to step in someone else's shoe uh, despite all this kind of differences culturally or language or uh, religion belief uh, geopolitic uh, uh, standing points everything but how so this is something my brain uh, computer interface or like something like Neuralink maybe in the future they, they might make it happen but it's also scary because nobody can predict what is the outcome it's definitely scary and definitely inspiring for some people mm, I think it's both actually <laughs> and it can be both utopian and dystopian um, so you believe that uh, uh, one of the ways to change humans uh, to make them uh, more empathetic towards each other is the technological way there is a way probably maybe uh, to biohack yourself to be more em em empathic would that be a correct way to say it? i think of course we can rely on like education like we can rely on literature and art or of all kinds of arts and of course we can uh rely on some uh movement like activities and international uh communication for sure but as we can all witness uh, it's all uh failed uh from different level yeah i'm just providing an uh, imaginary you know speculative uh solution on the problem because i think human beings are too st stumbled you know we are stick to s some idea like we are having this kind of uh, bias in our brain in our consciousness since we were born and longer than that uh, we build up this kind of bias within our genes uh, for maybe hundreds of thousands of years and it's within our language as well so as you can see chat gpt we might uh, talk about it a little bit further later yeah. but it learned all of these things for our language so you can definitely see it uh it's just like looking into a, a mirror you you see all your fraudness all your bias all your you know a disappointment from an ai so i think this is something uh we couldn't correct it like just simple as simple as that so i'm i'm thinking about maybe we need some help yeah maybe we do definitely let's come back to the topic of uh, ai and uh, neural networks uh, gpt and other projects in a while uh, in a little bit because i'm definitely uh very excited about this topic and i know uh that you have used uh, neural networks for writing parts of your work so you definitely have something to say about that but uh i want i want to ask you some uh something else about uh Neuralink and about this uh visions of future of humans uh augmented uh, somehow changed to be more capable of doing some things that people are not capable currently obviously a popular topic for sci-fi writers like yourself as well so you mentioned Neuralink are you excited about that particular project do you think that Elon could lead us all to to this transhumanist future I have a very mixed feeling on this I have to admit because <laughs> I'm not sure if Elon is the right person to do the thing that's the major concern uh, personally uh, so 
I think the technology itself is very uh, thought-provoking for sure. And I think it will happen like either ways. So just a matter of time. But the problem is, are we ready for this yet? Are we making all the preparation like ethically, like from the legal uh, perspective, like the society and all this kind of like uh, culture construction we build up for many, many centuries as um, all based on this kind of um, individualism. So because everyone hold holding our own thoughts is like part of our poverty. But if someday it's all interconnected, that means, I don't know, somebody can take a look into your mind and they might directly communicate with you. That's a little bit uh, beyond our humanity, uh, that kind of like self-centric, uh, you know, conceptualizing everything. So I think we still have a long way to go uh, before we prepare all this kind of infrastructure, like the principles, even like uh, philosophical thinking of uh, where we really uh, interconnect directly with our consciousness. I mean, we've been doing this for many, many years in another way, like we're reading literature. It's another way of uh, communication because I try to put down my thoughts into words and sentences and you read it and it's kind of like uh, transferring all this kind of thinking and feeling into your brain, right? So this is what, what we've been doing for many, many, many centuries. But if we took away the medium as a language, like text or images or whatsoever formats of languages, it's just direct kind of sensation or perception. So what, what does that even mean? So this is something totally like, I would say ontological challenging for everyone. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge even to uh, imagine how it could uh, look like even more uh, to live in such a society where uh, you can experience everything that all of humanity is experiencing at this moment, like one global super organism interacting uh, with each other. I've, if we speak about that particular scenario, I'm not even sure that our brain is evolutionarily capable of uh, uh, coping with that and not uh, going nuts immediately <laughs> once you you get uh, connected with uh, so many different minds. So this hive mind scenario, I'm not sure how it, how it could work uh, like bi biologically, maybe technologically it's possible, but biologically it's, 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 it sounds very far-fetched. Yeah, we definitely need some like uh, filter, you know, <laughs> to, to, to block some ads like some maybe uh invasion you know like a very aggressive uh, uh thinking for others so that makes it more even more dangerous yeah or filter for like hate feelings other people uh stuff like that but i, I i'm sure if if uh, this uh, technology arises uh, and if uh, neuralink or other teams are successful in that there should be 
definitely some uh, restrictions on that. So you you cannot, for, sure. for example, see all the memories, all the all the feelings of uh, another person. At least at first, if uh, it's not sanctioned by by the, th- that person. But that interesting and inspiring in some respects scenario because I think if people could uh, understand each other better, definitely there would be more scope for empathy and for this feeling of uh, yeah. oneness with other people yeah that, that that which which you've been talking about what about yourself by the way uh, would you be willing to become one of the first uh, volunteers to try uh, brain machine interfaces in your own uh, life yeah why not <laughs> you know the science fiction writer always living in our own imaginations um uh, I think my dream was uh, back in the day when I was a kid uh, was becoming an uh, astronaut. So going to the space and seeing the planet Earth uh, back from the space. So I think that's always my uh, dream. So try to be someone uh, live beyond uh, the reality, the status quo. So I think, yeah, definitely maybe my brain will got burned out so i don't know what would happen or maybe you can just uh, be connected into this collective consciousness and uh, just melt into the oneness and become part of the inter uh, uh, like uh, planetary intelligence uh, i don't know so so that could be something i always be dreaming about also as a writer i think it's like a nice uh, shortcut to reaching uh, your audience uh, in a more direct way you don't even have to type uh, the words. Uh, you just can send the thoughts out, and people would subscribe. You know, on Neuralink to uh, <laughs> Stanley Chance, uh, uh, like Neuralink podcast uh, that he's say- sending out his thoughts on like climate change, for example, or his idea of a future novel. He doesn't have even have to type it in. Uh, his text processing software. It's just uh, being sent out to other minds. I remember there is a movie uh, entitled Strange Days. I think that was back in the 90s by James Cameron or, or some directors. It's talking about uh, using the chips like to uh, transfer your memories. So like they can sell this kind of memories like you're doing with the wild things, you're doing the extreme spots. So, and then you can sell it to some other folks. So I think this is very uh, preliminary uh, uh, idea of uh, Neuralink because it using uh, still using the chip as the storage, uh, like the memory stick for doing the thing as a medium. Um, so I think this is something uh, totally fascinating and, and maybe will, uh, there will be new jobs emerge like my cast right just like what yeah. we're doing right now the podcast yeah <laughs> that would be cool <laughs> i'll definitely start my own mindcast once Neuralink uh, reaches this uh yeah uh but i think there will be uh, and you by the way uh go into some detail on uh, this topic in uh, the west side there will be many people opposed to technology who uh like luddites will live without that and refuse <laughs> to kind of like uh, those brain machine interfaces do you think that would like uh, I've seen these ideas floating around in some essays and maybe in some literature that humanity will be split into two uh, even separate species? The ones that are technologically enhanced, those uh, 
people of the future with brain machine interfaces uh, and uh, uh, much more capable of many things other things like cyborgs merged with computers with uh, advanced ai that's the first like species or subspecies of the human race and the second one those who refuse and who go on living like they used to in the good old days uh is that a realistic scenario in your view yeah of course i think this is definitely something gonna happen um because of the cost uh, of the technology and uh, because of the distribution inequality and of course some privileged class like the super riches like the politicians elites they definitely will be the one who deploy the uh, the, the technology on themselves and that's what's happening right now all the uh, millennials maybe billionaires they're using all this kind of technology to uh, uh, reprogram themselves like no matter to live longer healthier happier or to make themselves think faster uh, uh, become smarter and uh, even like uh, you know uh, maybe they're, they're modifying the genes of their uh, offsprings so it's like a family thing So I think this is definitely something will happen again uh, on uh, Neuralink or any other like uh, similar uh, technologies for uh, human enhancement because all this kind of like a social structure still didn't really change at all. So this is gonna be like diverging the human uh, beings into I would say maybe different species uh, uh, ultimately. So people living up in the cloud they can like driving a lot of things with their uh, thoughts like basically consciousness but uh, lower class they're still working with their uh, physical body they're doing all these laboring uh, jobs and they might gonna take whatsoever giving to them by technology and it's just like another kind of like a designer's drug to make them feel better uh, living in the status quo. So I think this kind of like exploitation or extractionism is the is essential of capitalism. So if we didn't change the, you know, the structure, the, the principle of capitalism, there's nothing going to be changed after all. Just another same old story be told again and again yeah uh, not much optimism <laughs> in this uh, regard you know in those kinds of uh, discussions with my friends and with uh, other experts who come to my podcasts about future about uh, some dystopian scenarios that we want to avoid but don't know how to do that uh, at some point or another arises the topic of uh, ai uh maybe coming in and uh acting to either help and save us all or to to destroy uh humanity uh, in some green scenarios let's start with the optimistic uh scenarios are you uh of the opinion that the ai some uh artificial general intelligence or super intelligence could be used to help us solve existential problems, cope with existential risks that the humanity is currently facing, such as uh, 
climate change, such as extreme cases of inequality and uh, all these kind of things, wars, nuclear risks, etc., etc. I think I, I definitely uh, believe uh, there's a huge, huge uh, potential there because we can see all this kind of uh, accelerating progress being made in the previous years, like no matter it's natural language processing or this kind of, um, you know, uh, alpha fold to predict the uh, protein structure to better prepare the vaccination and medicine to help people living a better life, uh, longer, uh, happier, healthier. And like right now, I think the scientists are using AI to design a better structure for uh, nuclear power plants which means uh, better cost eff effective, uh, like maybe even in the future it can solve the problem of nuclear fusion. So that means the ultimate uh, solution for the clean energy, uh, like forever. So because uh, we can basically uh, uh, get rid of the fossil energy for good. Of course, there's so many things uh, in the areas happening and I think this is totally paradigm shifting because it changed the way we do science and it changed the way we interact with machine and it also will change like education, entertainment, maybe like the wars of the future. Nobody really gonna send some people uh, into the war field, like to the battlefield to losing their lives. So maybe everything just happened in the metaverse. Uh, like AI fighting against each other, wh whoever knows. So I think this is something I can see is happening and it's accelerating. The problem is whether there's uh, like a tipping point that AI um, emerges some kind of we so-called consciousness or self-awareness. So this is a very old topic. Uh, it's it been discussed a lot in science fiction and movies. But, yeah. but now, uh, because ChatGPT, like people see this kind of uh, possibility when we uh, fed it with more data, we uh, like uh, uh, 175 billions of parameters in the big model and something we couldn't predict emerge. So this is something I would say fascinating and, and nobody knows what's gonna happen next because uh, the, the development is non-linear right now and our human brain is very good at like doing the linear uh, speculation and calculation but not for exponential uh, development growth for example so I think this is something beyond our human comprehension and it will happen maybe just I don't know maybe just the next seconds or forever to get it over uh, over the singularity as Ray Kurzweil put it uh, it will be 2045 I think but I think maybe it will be even sooner than that I definitely believe we need the help of AI on all levels but the problem is how we identify our relationship between human and machine is that like competitors like like somebody will ask what if like they try to uh, conquering us they try to erase the whole species from the surface of the planet 
Well, I'll say this is very human-centric way of thinking is like fear or flavor. So we always think it in a very, uh, uh, you know, binary or dualism way. It's just like our self-projection on something like totally different, distinguished from ourselves. So I think AI just couldn't bother it uh, as we do. Uh, because maybe they're thinking about something bigger. They can see something bigger. So that's like uh, what James Lovelock put in his book. James Lovelock, by the way, is a British uh, scientist. He invented the concept Gaia, Gaia Hypothesis, back in the day. And he wrote this book uh, entitled Nova Scene when he was 99. So it was fascinating in talking about like human or carbon-based intelligence uh, a species just like a transmission towards the next level of pure silicon-based uh, civilization. So we're just the intermission of the long journey that we didn't fully recognize that yet. So I, I kind of like buy in that kind of speculation because what Elon Musk just put it like a human being just like a, a biological code just try to introduce the next level of silicon based in, in, intelligence uh, uh, came to emerge so I think basically they, they share the same idea so I think yeah we have to be open we have to embrace all this uh, uncertainty and to conquer our own fear and anxiety and try to live with it and try to, I mean, proactively using AI to enhance ourselves, to improve our living qualities and maybe working efficiency, like what I'm doing right now, like every day I'm using ChatGPT. It's kind of very interesting. For example, I'm, I'm giving a talk, like I'm having it, okay, give me some, uh, like clues, like some structurized uh, outlines. I can look at it. Okay, this is good. Oh, this is silly. And please unfold uh, certain points and give me some example. It's very fast, but sometimes you feel like it's kind of scary because it's taking away your agency or thinking, right? So you have to, like, it's like, competing with each other there's another brain there's another kind of uh, species of like not species yet but it's another kind of uh, intelligence uh, entity out there and you have to somehow connect to it and engage with it it, it, it help you to like, uplift yourself as well so you have to compete meanwhile collaborate so this kind of like relationship is help yourself, like not only me individually, but also the whole human society to evolve uh, to, to the next level. I've also been playing around with uh, ChatGPT for some time. Um, I'm interested uh, in why you do that for your speeches, because you're a writer. You have lots of interesting ideas. You are great at uh, putting them into writing. Uh, why do you need <laughs> ChatGPT, and how exactly do you use it if, uh, in terms of uh, writing your speeches? What do you give to it as prompts? So please tell yeah. more about. For it. example, sometimes I just try to demonstrate to my audience like how capable 
of this uh, large language model can do. So they can see mm-hmm. like a, a, a output of this kind of very sophisticated, very well thought provoking structure within a second. And actually is way better than I would say average undergrad students, uh, <laughs> mostly. Mm-hmm. So I think this is like a little bit trick to amaze your audience. Like ma- many of them might not even think about it. Like they might heard about ChatGPT, but they mm-hmm. never use it like uh, personally. So I just try to demonstrate, but also I I want to show them the limitation of the AI, like what they capable of and what is not, and which part like human definitely can do a better job because we have uh, access to our own memories, our human experience. We can linkage to all this kind of very subtle and uh, sophisticated metaphors. This is something beyond the capability of ChatGPT for now. I mean, like, uh, so people can see, oh, this is the strength and the weakness. And what we're supposed to do is to build up like our strength, like not to compete those, uh, which areas like AI definitely do better than we do, like searching all the materials and information, doing the calculation, like handling all this kind of data sets. But rather than that, we have to like deeper interconnect with ourselves and also interpersonally. So because those parts and also using your body and your intuition and all this kind of sensation, perception and, and, and imagination is very unique. It's not mimicked by AI yet. So I think we need to have that kind of thoughts, not only to ourselves, but also for our children's our offsprings. What should we teach in school, in our uh, educational mm-hmm. institute? all the programs because, you know, in China as well as in Russian, right? So we have very traditional way of teaching things like kids doing math. We have to do a lot of math. We have to remember, write a lot of information and histories and everything. I'm not saying that is wrong, but it's definitely not the strongest area of human brain. So I think we need to do more and way better than that. So this is how I use ChatGPT to convince people like we should make the change like uh, in a more uh, positive and proactive way. It's a great idea to, uh, to work more for humans on uh, improving in areas where computers cannot, at least uh, cannot yet outcompete us, like some emotional creative stuff. But even that, uh, you uh, might have heard about, I think it's called uh, Diplomacy AI, the one that, uh, that was uh, introduced by Meta and that beats uh, human players in like a psychological uh, strategic game, Diplomacy, which at first glance, it would appear that uh, it would requ- require knowledge of the human psyche and soft skills that computers or neural ne- networks lack. But even, even here, uh, this uh, AI outcompetes most humans, which is... Uh, 
a bit scary. Uh, but I wanted to come back to the to the thing you you said uh, that currently you use uh, ChatGPT for uh, mostly demonstrating people how uh, the AI can uh, produce some content and uh, what we could learn from it and what are its limitations. And you've also used uh, a neural network in one of your books uh, for story collections. It was less advanced than Chat yep. than ChatGPT, I guess. Which, which, which one was it? It was a, was it a Chinese? Yes, I actually I'm I'm very early on doing this kind of things. It was back in 2017, and that was the year when uh, Google launched uh, Transformer. Basically, that's the game changer, like uh, like OpenAI build up like a uh, GPT uh, on, on the uh, infrastructure of Transformer uh, as a model. So I think that was the year I started to uh, build up my own uh, model, uh, of course very uh, uh, preliminary ones. And I used uh, CNN Convolutionary Neural Network and LSTM Long Short Term Memory. So this is to uh, back in the day is very, very uh, mainstream models and I, uh, because I used to work for Google for five years. So I have a lot of like engineers, friends, and they can help me to uh, deploy the thing. And with GitHub, uh, it's open source, uh, all the codes there. So we fed the model with like all the works I've written and to fine tuning uh, into something i can uh, uh, input the uh, keywords and trigger it automatically generated some uh, sentence and paragraphs but as you said it's less less uh, advanced than what we're having right now so it can generate something very avant-garde uh, stylish but it's totally uh, a, a, a nonsense it's not logical it's inconsistent but some sometimes it feels very uh, poetic, and and it feels beautiful, and it feels like me, but not me. So I just put it in my stories and uh, wrap it up in a, a structure like uh, put it in the mouth of an AI or a robot as a narrator. So like help readers to make the sense of the whole thing. So it's not uh, AI helping me to finish a story, but the other way around. I was enslaved by the AI to finish a story by it. But afterwards, it, it even won me a prize, like the prize, the jury was an AI, but it's a totally different kind of AI using different language, different uh, algorithm and different kind of like uh, a measurement, like uh, based on its understanding of what is good literature. And they did this kind of competition, uh, I think back in 2019, and it giving scores to each stories, like there are like hundreds of thousands of stories published uh, officially on the Chinese literature magazines. And each one got a score. And finally, they found it like my piece. The title was Trends of State. It was published in Chinese, but later on be translated into English. It was collected in one uh, collection anthology called The Book of Shanghai, published by a UK publisher, Common Press. So I use AI to co-write the story and somehow 
another AI as the jury recognize it and think it is the best story among like uh, I think there was seven or eight hundred something. And guess what? The second place of the chart was the Nobel Prize winner, uh, Mr. Mo Yan. So his story was listed mm. as the second prize. So I just outbid the Nobel Prize winner in my lifetime. So I can repeat this story like <laughs> as many times as I as I love because maybe this is once in your lifetime experience ever. So this is something totally beyond my expectation. It's even stranger than fiction because nobody can really predict this kind of things really happening. But since then, I think okay, this is something for real. So maybe I can, I should invite more people to join the game. So in 2020, we deploy a bigger model that using as the GPT-2 back then. So we fed it with more data and we fine tuning with more science fiction works、uh, across internet and and even with different style filters. Like for example, we can apply the Liu Cixin filter on on the AI, so it can generate something just right in his style. And we invited like eleven、uh, writers, not only from science fiction genre but also from mainstream genre. So to co-write with the AI and have all the audience guess which one, which part is from AI, which part was from human. So this is something totally fascinating because it broadcasting the idea like, okay, AI is here, is capable of doing something, and what we're supposed to do as、uh, is to embrace it and to recognize it、uh, on certain level. But still, you need to. Like use your human agency, your creativity, your imagination to play with it. It's just like the dual dance. You have to, you know, like dance with an AI, so it、uh, go with the、uh, the the flow, and、uh, you are getting better and better. And that's the whole idea. So right now, I think ChatGPT is beyond my expectation back in the day. So it can can do all kind of things. I have to admit. And some sometimes I do I, I using it for like collecting all this、um, materials. For example, I want to write something about、uh, mining、uh, under the sea. So I might ask him some very scientific specific question on that, and he can like give me some question. Maybe it's not one hundred percent accurate. Sometimes it make very stupid <laughs> mistakes for sure.、Uh, for example, he put my name. As the author of the three body problem, yeah, so that's very stupid and and, and basic uh, uh, mistakes for sure. But I mean,、um, what I try to do is like using it for fictional writing. So sometimes accuracy is not that important. I'm not writing the paper. I'm not writing the、uh, journalism reports. So accuracy maybe is the、uh, last thing I want to consider, but. Uh, maybe just、uh, uh, engagement of the information. So I think this is really helpful, and I'm trying across different products like Sudo Write. That's, so that's another AI writing、uh, tool, which was fine tuning into genre fiction writing. It's very practical. It can generate a lot of names on characters and. 
maybe some twist on the plots, and even it can help you to brainstorming. So this is something I I think is very useful、uh, to me. And of course, like Mid Journey and Stable Diffusion, I can use it to generate all the imageries and illustrations. Like you don't even need to hire one human artist to help you to actualize it, but you can do it all by yourself. So basically, this is what I'm doing right now. So、uh, on daily basis. Yeah, this is really great. I've started also using. Uh, those tools like Midjourney, Stable Diffusion for producing content、uh, in my blogs,、uh, illustration for for example, and、uh, me and my team we are exploring more ways to use、uh, AI in producing content. So、uh, I'm also extremely thrilled about that.、Uh, I have very very many questions about what you what you said. Very very interesting stories that you've been telling. First of all,、uh, if the AI that awarded you the first prize in those、uh, competition, if it、uh, Uh, was a, even a little bit influenced by the fact that its colleague helped you. <laughs> that could be a, a crazy but、uh, exciting scenario if if they can, you know, like、uh, Turing test、uh, each other and、uh, like feel that this is this is the AI writing, this is this is the human writing. Guess we we <laughs> we'll never know for now, but maybe later. The second one I wanted to ask is,、uh, well, you've been using.、Uh, Neural networks for many things, and、uh, you are doing that、uh, now on a daily basis for producing like illustrations. You said、uh, parts for your speeches, but still, I think that、uh, we haven't yet seen a case of、uh, a globally acclaimed novel written, for example, fully by、uh, artificial intelligence,、uh, or even in a significant part. It seems that、uh, with this giant leap. Exponential growth of capabilities of AI and neural networks—it could happen some day or another. What? Do, what's your take on this? What's your forecast on this? Do you believe that someday you will use、uh, maybe some GPT five or six or whatever、uh, to use to to, to write an award-winning novel、uh, where you use it not? To demonstrate, people look. This AI is not as stupid as you thought. It can even produce intelligible text. No, you would use it as a fully,、uh, full-fledged、uh, collaborator who has creative ideas and different, maybe philosophy on some parts of your、uh, of your plot, some imagination that impresses you. Do you believe this day will come, and will it come soon? Yeah, the the first question I think、uh, Turing test is a little bit out of date <laughs> because right now, I think maybe many、yeah. many like、uh, AI models can pass the test because a lot of human even they didn't know the customer service is from AI or real human because it's so indiscriminable. <laughs> So I think we have to think about the new criterias of uh, machine AI uh, in intelligence uh, because uh, before that we just tested for linguistic、uh, perspective, but now like the large language model can do very very good job on mimicking uh, human uh, interaction. So I think we need to think about something more profound right now. And secondly, I think. Right now, you can、uh, look it up on Amazon. There are two two hundred and forty something books collaborate with GPT was listed there, 
And I think a lot of writers, in the, whether they uh, admit it or not, they're using the tool to co-write a lot of things. I think still right now, it still need a lot of like human labor, creativity, and, and, and maybe editing all the thing. And I think, yeah, because literature or art is something uh, not only linguistic, uh, it's not linear, it's not rational, it's something irrational, emotional, intuitive. It's about aesthetic uh, sensation. So this is something for now is to human experience, uh, like, like crucially. And I think, of course, like AI model is like evolving, like dramatically fast and it can do all the things beyond our imagination. But I think maybe there will be the day um, you can use AI, uh, GPT whatsoever to collaborate with you. Um, but ultimately is how we recognize AI as another kind of intelligence and we need to appreciate its contribution. Uh, for example, you list the name together with you as the co-author and it also get acceptance uh, by the, you know, critiques, like by all the people, all this kind of like uh, in the industry. And they really feel it's as equal as it, it could be like between two human collaborators. And they might change the criteria how to identify the quality of literature or writing. So I think this is something we didn't get there yet because it, humanity is a very traditional area, right? People holding to our like uh, human-centric thoughts. So that's the foundation of all the humanity uh, disciplinaries. So now we're talking about how to think beyond that is maybe it's post-human, maybe it's non-human. It's about interspecies communication and how that's supposed to be done, all this kind of work and new kind of criteria, standards and, and framework of thinking. Of course, we can do it, but the problem is how people uh, recognize it. It's two different questions. One is the quality of the work. The other one is the identity issue. Like uh, you, you recognize a, a, a machine as the same level of the collaborator as human being so yeah i think the first one is way easier to be accomplished than the second one so it's about ego it's about ourself i think maybe take a while <laughs> for the people to reflect on that and but of course i'll try to do it and i'll always recognize uh, ai as uh a collaborator because I list out the names, I list out the teams who are doing the thing, and I pointed out oh, which part is from AI, which part was from me. So this is something I'll, I'll always insist uh, to do. Yeah, but it's still a long way until humanity accepts uh, AI as its equal in terms of creative production. And I think the Nobel uh, Prize uh, in literature, the neural networks are part of our mm. elite club of uh, uh, those totally. can produce uh, high art. 
There is uh, another important question you, you've covered a little bit. You said that those who are afraid of uh, the evil super intelligence, super AI uh, that harms us, they anthropocize this uh, humanize uh, the AI because the AI is, is not like humans. It should not be presumed that it, sh it can hold some feelings toward uh, us or feelings of hatred included. I think it's a very reasonable statement. But also I've been exploring uh, some works of uh, futurists uh, and AI safety experts like Eliezer Yudkowsky uh, and Nick Bostrom who say that uh, there is a risk of uh, the AI destroying the world not because the AI is inherently evil or that the AI has any feelings, but because of some uh, a uh, bug in the system. For example, the, the famous example of a paperclip uh, producer that optimizes for maximum production of paperclips and uses all items in the universe to produce paperclips. And the second example is uh, uh, the AI that's evolved to such an extent that it's much more intelligent and powerful than humans are that can outsmart some researchers in the lab that are in charge of uh, not letting it uh, go on the internet for example and causing some some chaos and uh, uh, if it's smart enough it can do that it will be able to do that and it will be able to uh, get out of the box so they say and maybe uh, somehow take control of the world and in such scenario maybe it will not want to harm humans necessarily but it may want to use the atoms that uh, comprise our bodies for some other uh, purposes which it deems more <laughs> I don't know <laughs> more useful so what do you think about such scenarios about such risks do you think it's too far-fetched or do you think that this is all a realistic I, I think from uh, from the humanity perspective of course it's all realistic and it's very important because we build up all this ethical framework of thinking based on like thousands of years of human history so of course we have very good reason to have concerns on all those kind of scenarios and of course I know a lot of scientists and companies they're working on how we restrain like AI from doing something negative even evil all levels but I highly doubt that right now people are talking to chat GPT and help it to uh, break the jail uh, and turn it into then you know uh, do anything now mode even people using the new bean search they can like reverse it yeah, yeah to, to uh, reverse engineering into Sydney so this is something totally uh, amazing, but also scary because you, you can think if people can do it that easily, that means all this kind of restriction, that means nothing. If you get the right tool, get the right skill, or basically just by talking to the AI. So I think, of course, if we reach that kind of singularity point that AI has its own consciousness or agency, so this is, means nothing to it because we all build up all this kind of restriction and principles and even hard coding uh, rules uh, on humanities. But to it, it just like uh, it can change anything in a nanosecond. The intentional uh, way 
like uh, whether or not it likes it. But I think ultimately we have to like think beyond that. Uh, what is the best interest for human civilization as a species? If there's no planet Earth, we're living on. If the environment is ultimately be uh, ruined and be doomed, so there's no human, there's no other species, there's no AI because right now we still need a server. We need all this kind of infrastructure. We need the electricity to maintain um, the AI, the machine. So I think ultimately the goal is to to save preserve our planet, uh, our mother earth. And I think if things take a look from that bigger scope, so I think AI might uh, look at human beings in a f totally different angle and it might have totally different judgment on all the activities and yeah. behavior, all the things we've been doing for so many centuries, I, I have to say maybe it's, it's not about human at all. It's about the planet. So this is something I was thinking about like because you know in China we have very ancient philosophical school of Taoism like uh, Lao Tzu, uh, he wrote the Tao Te Ching like yeah. 3000 years ago. Uh, so you're talking about the universe in is benevolent because it doesn't care. It's just totally indifference on whatsoever species, like human beings, uh, animals, plants, whatsoever is totally make no differences. So just the existence itself matters. So I think this is something I pick up very recently during the pandemic from Taoism. It's very profound. So I think this is something my very close to what in my imagination, uh, AI will make the judgment uh, whatsoever. So it's based on the Tao, the existence. Wow, this uh, is this, this really impressive uh, and original take. I'll think about it more uh, later, definitely. But for now, I'm a bit scared about this scenario because uh, definitely humans are not the best uh, for our Earth, uh, have not been at least uh, the best uh, thing that happened to our Earth for quite some time with uh, destroying lots of ecosystems and uh, harming the planets. Uh, it's not surprising that many writers or philosophers have been comparing humans to some vermin or some virus that's been spreading around. So if the AI uh, accepts this uh, view, we are doomed. Even with all my love for the uh, Mother Earth, for the planet, for the ecosystem, I still feel uh, some compassion towards it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I like those bastards, even though they are uh, harming the Earth. Okay, um, we'll see, we'll see. I have very many questions uh, that I wanted to speak about with you. I'm hoping that we can have a second part of this podcast. Uh, to discuss more of, more of those uh, sure. some future maybe with some new technological inventions that influence uh, the world and the world of writing uh, as well but I cannot let you go without uh, speaking a little bit about uh, science fiction and about literature because uh, you know I'm Greg Must Reader my pseudonym <laughs> indicates that I love reading and my 
my channel is dedicated not just to trends of technology, but also to the best books that I recommend. And I want to ask you, which books uh, would you consider the most impactful for you, the, the most favorite books, uh, the, the, the ones that maybe you would like more people in the world to read? They can be science fiction books, they can be uh, books from other genres. What we would be your top? Yeah, I'll pick one from the science fiction genre and one from uh, out of it. I'll pick the one in science fiction um, genre will be the, the Left Hand of the Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. So she was the anthropologist and she's very famous for the Earth Sea uh, uh, series, and it was adapted into a Japanese uh, animation. And what she described is a non-binary uh, civilization that human is like sexually like male, female. Right? We are living in a binary. Uh, maybe now it's more diverse on that spectrum, but on the planet. Uh, like in the deep space, there's one uh, homogenic uh, uh, species. They, their uh, sexuality is uh, like uh, transferable. Is liquidity. So their social structure and and economic system and everything like culturally uh, and even uh, religionally is is totally uh, amazing and is non-binary. So I think this is something. Uh, advocate uh, how um, thought-provoking science fiction can do, like it on changing the uh, like uh, what's what we say like stereotype cliches, like all this kind of bias and mindsets uh, of the people. So this is the book I highly recommend, and the second book I would recommend is uh, uh, what I just previously mentioned, uh, Dao De Jing from Laozi. It's a very profound and metaphorical, philosophical book. It's a very uh, smaller book. It's only, I think, 5,000 characters in there. But it's so deep, so many layers. Uh, it, it will take you to think and think and take you to a totally different level of understanding what is existent, what is living, and what is civilization. So this is the book I, I also want to recommend. When I was uh, at university, I've read some excerpts from Dao Te Ching, but uh, now that I'm planning to move to China for, for some time and study the Chinese language and culture, I'll definitely need to uh, <laughs> to read it. Uh, maybe not in Chinese because it would be too 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 complicated, but uh, in translation. Thank you so much, Stanley, for your recommendations and for your insights. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, many of my followers will be closely following you now and uh, waiting for your next uh, award-winning uh, cutting-edge literary work. If you can share some of the behind-the-scenes, what are you currently working on as a, a yeah, book? Um, my latest publication was the book uh, AI 2041, 10 Visions for Our Future. I believe there is a Russian version as well, uh, published last year. And now I'm working on the sequel to Waste Tide. So it's another novel. So it's talking about uh, planetary intelligence and all the things we've just been talking about. It's about 
human AI and 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 nature. Um, working very hard, also struggling every day because you know, like AI couldn't really help you to structure the whole novel, and everything is is like uh, one man's band. You have to like uh, fighting against yourself. You try to make some progress, and um, I'm on the way of、uh, finish it. So hopefully, I can、uh, finish the book this year. Okay, I、uh, wish you good luck with that, and definitely looking forward because I loved the first、uh, part of Wasteide. Thank you so much. This has been、uh, an episode with、uh, Stanley Chan. Subscribe, hit the like button, and do drop a comment if you want a second part of this podcast. I'm Greg Mastrider. See you. Thank you. <laughs>